This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, Brian Callahan in again for Linda Swain this week while Linda enjoys some much, 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 I know we always say it, but much-deserved time off. Uh, from the omen work she does here at the uh, newsroom, of course, at VOCM, and uh, taking over her show just for the week. She'll be back next week without delay, I'm sure. Turn off my phone. Um, so no shortage, of course, of news. This is News Talk. No shortage of it in the news again today. Um, in the news. Lots of news in the news today. And uh, not the least of which, of course, I'm just going to go through some of the headlines today. Uh, before we get into some of the uh, feature interviews, of course, we have um, Doug Snellgrove, who is technically still an RNC officer. Uh, he has formally now, his lawyers, um, his Ontario lawyers have formally filed his intention to appeal his conviction and four-year sentence for sexual assault. Um, we know about two months ago, uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador Court of Appeal dismissed uh, his appeal. And uh, so that left the one option the last resort, they call it, um, in Canada to appeal, and that is to the Supreme Court of Canada. So the Supreme Court of Canada first has to agree to uh, hear the appeal. So you have to seek leave first, and they review the case at hand and decide if it's in the public interest, if there's enough, uh, if it's significant enough for the court to take on. They don't take on every case, of course. They'd, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's the Supreme Court of Canada. So they make sure that uh, the decisions they do make um, are significant enough that they have to be um, taken on by the panel of judges. So um, formally filed on the 20th of June, that gives uh, the Crown about uh, 30 days to, um, to respond, and then the court will look at all the documents and decide whether or not appeal the appeal will go ahead, and that won't be for another few months yet. But in the meantime, uh, Mr. Snowgrove is still technically uh, an officer. He has begun serving his four-year sentence, but um, he can still apply now for for uh, release and bail while uh, the Supreme Court of Canada decides whether to hear the appeal. So that remains to be seen. This is just uh, coming out today uh, from us here at VOCM, um, and so whether or not it'll go to an actual appeal will remain to be seen. We have some time yet to... Uh, before that uh, decision will be made. Also, uh, in the news today, the provincial government called a, a news conference out of the blue this afternoon. Not entirely maybe surprising, given that the um, Ottawa's new clean fuel regulations are supposed to come into effect on July 1st, just a few days away. Um, but the government is still asking, and the Atlantic provinces are still asking for um, a delay in that. Uh, they're requesting you know, a delay in the implementation of the regulations until they say a plan can be developed to address the quote-unquote disproportionate impact of the regulations on Atlantic Canadians. So um, uh, the, pre the premiers of the, in the region have expressed those concerns in the past, but there's still been no movement. And you got to believe that with, you know, just a couple of days to go, all the technicalities that have to be put together to implement these regulations, uh, it, it seems like 11th-hour stuff, but nonetheless, um, they're still pushing for a delay and held a news conference um, just began at 3.30. Uh, Our own Richard Duggan was there, and uh, he'll be back in the office shortly with the highlights, maybe some lowlights from that news conference, and uh, hopefully he can join me in the next half hour between 4.30 and 5.00 and, and break down what the, uh, the case that the provincial government's making here at the last minute. And let's see, we have um, Anthony Insurance and um, Johnson Insurance. Now, they've been sort of working side by side in tandem for some time, but they've uh, 
they're announcing the quote transformation the rebranding of uh, or the really of their relationship with bel air direct now you know of course first thing that comes to mind is competition and rates and all that's fun stuff um but i'm going to jump right into that uh, noah shepherd spoke with john thompson who uh, is the deputy senior vice president of Bel Air Direct now with that new branding, rebranding and that organization. He's, of course, been with the Newfoundland industry for more than 20 years with Johnson Insurance. But uh, he spoke with Noah Shepard just a short time ago to give him a rundown on what it means for Johnson and Anthony Insurance clients in this province. So about 10 years ago, um, Intact Financial uh, bought Anthony. And so they've been operating uh, the Anthony business in Newfoundland for the past decade. And then a couple of years ago, uh, two years ago, in fact, um, Intact acquired RSA, which uh, was our parent company at Johnson. So, so for the last two years, we've actually been uh, working side by side with uh, our colleagues at Anthony and our colleagues at uh, Bel Air Direct. So now uh, came the time to uh, come together as one team operating nationally with, our, of course, our big footprint in uh, St. John's and our national business across the country. You mentioned there it's uh, more of a tie-in with the national business across the country. Um, some people may be worried of uh, losing sort of that uh, that local connection, you know, uh, getting a local agent that you're talking to. How do you address those concerns? Yeah, no, it's actually the opposite. Um, we have about 1,200 people in our uh, downtown uh, location in St. John's, and that's actually up about 200 people um, from when the acquisition occurred in June of 2021. So, you know, we're we're very local, even though the, the brand is changing. Um, you know, the commitment to Newfoundland, Atlanta, Canada, our national footprint, um, in fact, couldn't be stronger. And another concern that comes from things like this is lack of competition. How do you address that? Uh, you know, a lack of competition possibly leading to higher rates. No, I, I don't share that view either, and I'll tell you why. It's because, you know, insur auto insurance is probably one of the most competitive industries in the country. Uh, there's lots of competition out there. All you have to do is, is, is Google the, the term auto insurance, and you see numerous, numerous providers there that uh, are operating uh, in Newfoundland and have uh, provide um, quotes and service in Newfoundland. So it's a highly competitive industry, and actually that's what this decision is rooted in. We're, we're looking to expand our, um, our opportunity in Newfoundland under one big, powerful brand and bring in all of the suite of digital tools that we have that can even be bring a better proposition and a better service experience uh, to our Newfoundland customers and Newfoundland Labrador customers and hopefully grow our business. And so say I'm a customer and uh, I'm calling in, what benefits am I going to see in my day-to-day -day operations with my insurance? So as we launch this now in the fall, um, Bel Air Direct would be one of Canada's leading providers. So they would have um, a suite of digital products that you could, you could manage your insurance online. They have the best insurance app um, out there, the highly, most highly rated insurance app. You know, crash assist, for example, if you're involved in an accident, um, your phone would actually pick up that you're involved in an accident and uh, call 911 or at least uh, call an emergency vehicle and that kind of thing. So a lot more um, digitally savvy tools that will help 
uh, people manage their pro- their insurance requirements. And uh, obviously, we want to take this opportunity to be uh, provide even more value in the, uh, in, you know in the province around better selection of better pricing, better propositions, product design, and so on. So, the same people that have always looked after your insurance, if you're with Johnson or Anthony, are still going to be on the other side of the phone. Um, however, we'll have a, a full suite of digital products that people can avail of. Yourself, you know, you have to, over 20 years of experience uh, with Johnson. How do you see this merger? Is it a bit bittersweet or is it uh, an exciting uh, new opportunity? No, it's, it's actually very exciting, right? So we've we've spent the last week talking to our um our staff and our affinity partners and our customer base. And um, in fact, right now I'm on a bit of a cross country swing to get in front of our uh, our people and our, our uh, partners. And the excitement and, and what people are playing back to me is that this is a really exciting time for our business. Um, great opportunity for growth, great opportunity to bring even more uh, value to our customers and more exciting things around the digital capabilities and so on. So, um, no, it's definitely not bittersweet. It's actually uh, quite an exciting time. And what is the biggest challenge you're hearing uh, from your customers in terms of dealing with their insurance? Uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, across the country, everybody's looking for more value, you know, like, like looking for, you know, with inflation being what it is, you know, uh, last year you know, almost approaching uh, double digit. You know, the dollar doesn't go as far anymore. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide value for our customers and make insurance, particularly auto insurance, more affordable. We're facing a lot of things on the property side, too, with, you know, climate change, you, you know, the things like Hurricane Fiona, the wildfires in Nova Scotia. Um, you know, the, the climate is changing, which is causing uh, a lot more claims. So we're looking for ways and means to be more uh, providing more value to customers and and, you know, being able to assist customers when they know that they need us most, which is, you know, whether it's a car accident or a wildfire or a hurricane, we want to be on the other side of that, providing uh, value and, and putting people back to where they were before the big event. And that is John Thompson. He's the uh, the deputy senior vice president of Bel Air Direct now, formerly, of course, uh, with Johnson Insurance. Um, but, um, you know, talking about the rebranding, the transformation, they're calling it, uh, rebranding of Johnson Insurance and Anthony Insurance. And uh, according to Mr. Thompson there, and of course, thank you, Noah Shepard, for putting that together and doing that interview. Uh, but according to Mr. Thompson, for better, not for worse. I'm Brian Callahan here on uh, News Talk in for Linda Swain all, right, all week. And we'll be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk today. And uh, going right back into our uh, our next item here, the, um, the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Nurses Union. Uh, unveiled a new campaign today. Now they're back at the bargaining table, of course, and they're continuing discussions, saying they're not going to uh, talk about what they're talking about at the table. You know, they're not going to bargain in public. But they say they're working toward a deal and the finish line is close. And then at the same time today, they uh, unveiled a new campaign that they say uses the classic Newfoundland Labrador clothesline imagery to illustrate how RNs and... um, and, um, uh, our nurses are being, quote, hung out to dry. So it's, uh, 
you know, the visions of those sheets blowing in the wind um, and our wonderful, uh, and they are just great ads, uh, beautiful ads, uh, tourism ads, but um, the nurses are seizing on that imagery now to say how their members are being hung out to dry in a, in a, a healthcare system that doesn't seem to be improving, or at least recruitment doesn't seem to be improving with still seven, almost, I think, 750 vacancies still in the nursing ranks in the province. Um, Yvette Coffey spoke this morning uh, with Brian Medor. Where do contract negotiations oh. stand? So we're currently at the bargaining table and continuing in our discussions. Uh, as with any set of bargaining uh, talks, we don't talk about what we're actually talking about at the table, but I can tell you we are working towards a deal. Uh, um, the finish line is close. A couple of weeks, I think you you told me that you were hoping it would be done by the end of June. Is that still possible? Well, if not by the end of June, we'll work in through the weekend. We got momentum, and we'll just keep going to get a contract. Why was it important to launch this here today? So this was already planned ahead of bargaining, right in negotiations. Getting a collective agreement that values and respects registered nurses and shows them they're important is one thing. But 750 vacancies are not going to be filled overnight. And the working conditions are not going to improve anytime soon. So we need to keep talking about the horrendous workplace conditions, the violence in health care, the mandated overtime, the use of agency nurses, which is not going away anytime soon, uh, which is very demoralizing for our members. And... This is only just a start, a kickoff point, because we are going to be continuing to talk about workplace conditions and what our members need in order to provide safe care to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. President Coffey, you mentioned that uh, RNU nurses here are the lowest paid in the country. How important is it to make them parity with some of the other provinces? Well, one of the things we always talk about is parity with not only Atlantic Canada, but Canada and the globe right now. We're in a global nursing shortage, and everybody, every province, every country are competing. And we're seeing that as we're bringing in internationally educated nurses too, because our country is going out looking. We have a very significant shortage. And if we want to keep people from resigning permanent positions and going to casual or going to private agencies, we need to make sure that we are competitive, not only with the Atlantic provinces, but within Canada as well. Uh, the last campaign launch uh, I think you had was more than an RN, less than enough. Uh, what has changed between, between that and now being hung out to dry? Well, the latest campaign was Beyond Broken but not beyond repair. And we've been working with this government. I mean, I am in constant communication with this government, with the Department of Health, uh, around initiatives uh, to keep registered nurses and nurse practitioners. There's lots of stuff being done here in this province on recruitment, but we still have 750 vacancies. So it goes to the notion that if we don't retain who we have and stop the hemorrhaging, we will never keep all those we are recruiting, such as the internationally educated nurses and our new graduates who are coming out and they're crying out for mentorship within the healthcare system and support. They're coming out and they're going into situations that no registered nurse should ever be put in. They're short-staffed, they're being mandated. They're coming off orient orientation and their first shift are mandated to stay 16 hours. How are we ever going to retain these new graduates and new RNs and MPs into the system if we continue to treat them like that? 
You said 40% of your members are thinking about leaving. How did you come up with that information? I mean, was there a direct question asked to all members and this is what came back? So our research and surveys with our members, and there have been national surveys as well, and 40% are prepared to just walk away, retire early, or just um, go to private practice. We also know there's new studies coming out now, new research coming out uh, federally. 90% of nurses in this country are burnt out, feeling burnt out. 90%. That's a staggering statistic. And even though we've had an influx of registered nurses and nurse practitioners into the system over this past year, from last October to April, we still have 750 vacancies. So whatever we're doing is not working. We need to think outside the box. We need to retain who we have. And when we recruit, we need to make sure that we're providing the support and workplace conditions that will keep the new registered nurses and nurse practitioners coming into the system. Are you seeing any signs of improvement from some of the work that's happening behind uh, closed doors, I guess, with government, or is the system still slipping? The system is still slipping. I mean, even with all the recruitment, still 750 vacancies. And we need to work on that. We need focus on retention, and I keep saying retention, retention, retention. We need to show registered nurses and nurse practitioners that they're valued and respected for their profession and what they're bringing to the table. We have so many things going on in healthcare. There's so much money being announced every other day. We have a health accord with a plan for 10 years. If we are ever getting to what the health accord envisions and improving the health care and the health outcomes of people in Newfoundland and Labrador, we need to stabilize our publicly funded health care system. That is the president of the Nurses Union, Yvette Coffey, and uh, she's speaking with several reporters there. I think I said Brian Medora. I meant uh, Jerry Lynn Mackey, of course, was in there with some other reporters uh, speaking to Yvette Coffey this morning during the, um, the unveiling of a new campaign, Hung Out to Dry, you know, based on those uh, tourism commercials where the clothes is blown in the wind, um, Hung Out to Dry. But in this case, Yvette Coffey says it's the nurses and the healthcare system that's uh, in that position, precarious position. Still 750 vacancies. Um, uh, despite the efforts. And, you know, you'll see the province and the nurses together one month uh, side by side working on these programs, but then they'll come out individually and it can be a different story. So it's uh, a lot of machinations going behind the scenes. Coming up after the break, we're going to take news time now in a a minute. Um, I spoke a short time ago with Marystown Mayor Brian Keating. It seems barricades are not enough to stop people or at least let them know that they're not supposed to go through or across the Canning Bridge, which has been deemed dangerous and not safe and not safe for vehicles to cross, yet people are still doing it. And uh, so I spoke a short time ago with Mayor Keating about where they go from here. It's also, of course, Department of Highways transportation issue. Um, and they seem to have some plans for it, but uh, barricades just don't seem to be enough, I guess, in this situation. And as well, of course, there was um, the first debris brought back this morning to St. John's Harbor from that ill-fated Titan sub, the submersible, um, which claimed um, four lives when it, um, as they say, catastrophically imploded last week Last week, at some point, believed to be during the descent. So the first pieces, uh, it was a solemn moment down there this morning at the harbor. People watched quietly as the pieces were offloaded. 
and um, our own Allison King was down there for that this morning, and um, she got the first shots and uh, the first reporting that those pieces were being offloaded. So that's also in our news today. But um, again, coming up, as mentioned, right after the break, I'm going to have a chat with um, Marystown Mayor Brian Keating about what to do. Keep people off an unsafe bridge. I'm Brian Callahan, and this is News Talk. We'll be right back. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. It is Wednesday, right? Right. Um, so uh, just for the break, I was mentioning I um, caught up with uh, Marystown Mayor Brian Keating a little bit earlier this afternoon. Our keen-eyed Jolene Grimes noticed um, some posting of pictures and some damage around the Canning Bridge, specifically barricades that have been erected there by the highways, by transportation, and uh, put up there because the bridge has been deemed unsafe to cross in a vehicle. Uh, that goes back to February when it was actually closed um, after limited crossing before that, but it's, it was closed in February and a replacement is leased three, maybe four years away. Um, pedestrians and bicycles are still allowed to cross, but um, again, vehicles—it's a no-no, except you know, emergency vehicles in a in a pinch. Uh, but it turns out people are just discarding, throwing, damaging even the barricades, the wooden ones. There are concrete ones there too, obviously, but uh, uh, the uh, the wooden ones that have been put up are just being thrown aside and damaged to some extent. Some residents are putting them back in place, but. It's hard to believe, you know, the, um, it's, it's a bridge and uh, the engineers have said it's not safe and the, the, um, the edict has been to stay off it. But uh, as you'll hear in my chat with Brian Keating, uh, the message just doesn't seem to be getting through. So the last time we spoke was, a, was an update just on, I remember you had a, a Facebook update on the motorcycles. But um, so let's just start from the beginning again. So what exactly is allowed and not allowed across that bridge right now? So right now, under Department of Transportation and the provincial government, there's no motorized vehicles whatsoever. The only thing like the motorized wheelchairs, yes, uh, scooters and paddle, motorized pedal bikes. No, no any vehicle that has to be registered under the Motor Registration Act. And pedestrians are, are free to cross? Pedestrians are free to walk across. And is there any limit on that? Like, is there any, you know, is it just free to go or is there any limit on the amount of people who can cross at a time or any other things like that? Well, I guess, you know, for the, if you put 20,000 people, I'm not sure <laughs> it would be an issue. But right now, uh, they never give us no limit on people, but uh, we won't be having block parties or concerts on the, on the bridge, that's for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so, um, but... Despite those rules in place, and they seem to be pretty straightforward, there are barricades up, or at least there were barricades up. So what happened today? Well, right now what's going on, uh, some uh, residents on the Bjorn Peninsula area, I don't know if from Marystown or any surrounding areas, uh, uh, take liberties on taking the barricades down themselves and driving their motorized vehicles, be it a motorcycle and our cars. We have several issues uh, not one occurrence. We have multiple occurrences on a weekly basis of people removing the barricades and uh, driving their vehicles across. So I've seen some pictures of the barricades actually thrown to the side. They look like they're either destroyed or damaged. Um, uh, first of all, what's that costing? Uh, I guess that's a Department of Transportation issue, is it? 
Yeah, that's on that falls under the transportation. Uh, they do the repairs. Actually, I got to say a thank you. There's a lot of residents. Residents will be walking there. Some residents will pick them up, uh, reinstate them, and stuff. So, because you know, every every time someone takes it down, the Department of Transportation and their defense is not going to be able to repair it. So, I want to take the residents of uh, the, the area that are helping out and trying to follow the rules. You know, the old saying, one or two bad apples spoils the barrel. But uh, and I can see their frustrations because you know what? Uh, you see that the, the government allowed uh, emergency vehicles and weights. And you know, we get all these questions how come, why? And, but right now, we're following the regulations of the Department of Transportation. That's the only thing I'd say. The municipality has no jurisdiction whatsoever over the bridge. It's not the municipality's responsibility to do the barricade or control traffic. That also falls under the Department of Transportation. But in saying that, all I would like to tell people, I don't want to be on the radio or on TV in a couple of weeks' time reporting a major catastrophe. We don't know. We were told by the engineers and the experts that this bridge is unsafe for vehicles. And I don't want to be the mayor this time reporting that someone went across and the bridge collapsed. Even more than that, if a motor vehicle is driving across that bridge and there's pedestrians walking, and now to the point that pedestrians can walk on the driving surface, they got a um, sense of safety there because, uh, you know, you see a motorcycle shooting across their car, they're not aware that vehicles are coming there, and you could have a pedestrian vehicle accident. So, you know, you got to take into consideration nothing really matters until something bad happens. And that's what we're trying to prevent. And what it comes down to is there are barricades there for that reason, for all those safety reasons, to not give the impression that it may be okay to cross and not okay to cross. And then the confusion, like you said, where uh, two people meet each other and they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. Is there any level of surveillance? Is there, you know, are there any video cameras around? Are there any transportation employees even occasionally sort of watching the bridge or, or, you know, um, enforcing? The only factual thing I can tell you for sure is that we reached out to the Department of Transportation and uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago to be exact, the, uh, we brought this to the attention because, of course, Facebook, social media, and the news broadcast was telling about people still using the bridge. The Department of Transportation are in the process of getting a, a mechanical stall gate that has to be locked and unlocked which will restrict will restrict uh, vehicle traffic, but not pedestrian traffic. So, like, you know, the Department of Transportation government in the whole has to go through procedures like RFPs and get pricing to stop to install these gates. We did reach out to them yesterday because this weekend is high traffic on Facebook, my page and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the time reached out again. Once again, the time cancelled myself and uh, we reached and they uh, indicated to us that it's in the process of putting a permanent gate system that can be locked and unlocked for emergency exit only. So right now, all I can say is that, please, for residents of Bjorn Plains and the Marystown residents, please obey the signs right now. And the life that you're risking is your own life. And... Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's it's a sad commentary, I guess, that you have, you know, you have to go this, anyone has to go this extra length with barricades and then locked gates and, you know, the rule is there for a reason. Is And as you said, worst case scenario, can't imagine that, uh, you know, it should collapse under the weight of someone who wasn't or something that wasn't supposed to be there. And listen, uh, you know the old saying, there's never a problem until our problem arises. 
So all I ask the residents of Marystown and the Grand Plains, please obey it. And the town council is doing whatever we can to get updates for the bridge. We're reached out for another update for the bridge. And, uh, of course, being the summer months and things going on, we have a little trouble getting some stuff back. But I will tell you, the new minister, John Abbott, he came, he walked the bridge, he met with uh, myself and another couple of councillors that were available at the day, and he guaranteed us in our in our chambers that he will take the role that Minister Loveless left him, and the bridge, Canning Bridge in Marystown, is a priority one for him. But we got to follow protocol and procedures, and uh, getting the engineering, getting the contract that's awarded. But right now, he promised us and uh, a verbal handshake and in writing that the bridge is priority one and it's still on schedule to be completed in a timely manner. Yeah, uh, I remember just a short time ago, Mayor Keating, you had mentioned, you know, that people might see a bit of downtime there, but that doesn't mean things aren't happening behind the scenes, um, uh, That which could be adding to some of the frustration, I guess, when people see no movement there, even though, as you said, engineering and other work could be going on. Uh, last thing, and you just said a timely manner, what is the uh, your understanding of ballpark, I understand, uh, that a new bridge will be in place? Well, like when the government is telling us, you know, they come out and said three to five years, okay, with yeah. the engineering, construction, uh, demolition and construction. Uh, that's the worst case scenario. And of course, they're, they're visiting more uh, scenarios on how they can shorten that time. But like you said, if they came out and announced it was going to be done in 18 months, and 18 months is not done, then they, they face a whole new... That's correct. Uh, scenario that you have to answer to. But right now, I do believe, and I'm frustrated. My parents live right on the uh, on the south side of Canyon Bridge. Uh, and I see the frustration, the cost, not only frustration, the cost, and uh, the wear and tear. And right now, it's affecting many of the different avenues, renters, uh, employment, and uh, it's not only affecting renters, it's affecting the whole Bjorn Peninsula. But all I can say, uh, without sounding like a, a record player, guys were on it. Keep being on it, and please help us help you. Help us help you. That's uh, Marystown Mayor Brian Keating uh, once again pleading with uh, residents of the area and around all around the Buren Peninsula there to uh, just obey the rule with to try to stay off that bridge. Just, uh, God forbid, something horrible should happen there. He gets it. Uh, like he said there, his own parents are just across the bridge, and it's frustrating for everyone involved. But, uh, you know, rules were there put into place not to be broken, but in this case, just to be followed. Anyway, um, thanks to Mayor Keating again for making time for me today. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. We'll be right back after the break. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back uh, this afternoon on News Talk in for Linda Swain and uh, joined by Richard Duggan. Now Richard was at the uh, a news conference hastily called, we'll say. It was certainly last minute around lunchtime uh, that the provincial government called. Um, Deputy Premier Siobhan Cody, Finance Minister, of course, Treasury Board, as well as Energy Minister Andrew Parsons. And, of course, this is in response to the pending uh, new clean fuel regulations that are due to come into effect this Saturday, Canada Day. Um, and this news conference today, kind of uh, maybe a little bit out of the blue, only because what can possibly change and be done now at the 11th mm -hmm. hour, so to speak, we all know that, uh, you know, there's been lots of back and forth um, about whether or not this will cost us more in the long run. The provincial government certainly feels that it will. 
um, as well, as does the federal Tories, Pierre Polyev, who's been banging that drum, saying that in that. And then, you know, you, uh, Richard, you, we have the parliamentary budget officer and the Liberals have been taking what they, uh, what's good for them out of his report about whether ultimately this is going to cost us more money, whether or not those quarterly checks will make up for what we're paying at the pump overall. I don't know. Um, did they, uh, did Miss um, um, Cody and Mr. Parsons have anything uh, new or riveting to say today, or is this the same old, same old? They're not up, They're not happy? Yeah, pretty much in that regard, the same old, same old, that they're not happy. And the reason why they, they said that they called that news conference for today was because now we're at the 11th hour. We're days away from this coming into effect, and they're reiterating their message. And if, if you notice, Brian, over the last couple of weeks, we've been getting these news releases from the Atlantic Premiers, mm-hmm. and what I've noticed in those different news releases is that the messaging has been getting a little bit stronger with each and every single one that they've been putting out. So, um, you know, I I think that's it right now. I think that they just wanted to reiterate that message that this could have devastating effects for people with with the cost of living. And the main one that they pointed to today was Marine Atlantic and how that will drive up costs. And and the quote from Andrew Parsons, actually, I was listening to the audio before I came into the studio here. And his, you know, he said that it would, that it's ridiculous to think that the companies are going to absorb this cost in Mm. some way and not pass it on to us. Yeah. It will be passed on was his, the exact words from him. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're wondering how this, you know, could, will affect people. They said that they've been hearing from constituents already that, you know, the cost of living is as high as it is and they can't afford to have any more money tacked onto that. So that was the, the messaging there. I asked one of the questions that we asked um, at that news conference was, we've seen this escalation in their messaging. What did they do after July 1st? Mm. When and if this comes into effect, if they don't listen and they don't pause it, uh, what what will happen? And Andrew Parsons came back and he, he said that, you know, they're not the types to bring down the flags, right? And otherwise... <laughs> Reference to our former Premier, Danny Williams. Exactly, yep. So, you know, they're not the type to do that. Other than this situation, they have had a pretty good relationship with Ottawa, and and they they did mention that, but they doubled down on the fact that they're, in Siobhan Cody's words, disappointed with how this has all played out and disappointed with the fact that they haven't been listening uh, to what the... Uh, provincial governments have said the Atlantic premiers have been saying um, and so that's sort of where things lie and Brian I know that we have uh, yeah. some audio now to play of uh, Siobhan Cody and Andrew Parsons addressing us uh, a short while ago yeah absolutely let's go for it so as you may know you've been, you've been following this from the from the premiers of Atlantic Canada have said to the federal government that they're they want uh, they want the federal government to pause on the implementation of clean fuel regulations why is that important is because we're very concerned about the affordability for people in this province extremely concerned we have the, the we have the carbon tax coming in July 1st and these clean fuel regulations coming in on top of that and we know from the parliamentary budget officer, this could cost the people of the province up to 17 cents 
per liter, 17 cents per liter by 2030. So we're concerned about competitiveness, we're concerned about affordability, we're concerned. And we want to reiterate that today because, of course, July 1st is coming in a few days. And again, the federal government is continuing. Now, we support efforts to curb climate change. We're very, very supportive in this province. That's why we have 98% of our electricity is, is, is generated by renewable resources. That's why we, we, we were one of the first provinces to choose net, uh, net zero by 2050. We're willing to do our part. We just can't do more than we're capable of doing. I just uh, would, I guess, echo what uh, Minister Cody is saying here, that, uh, you know, just in a few days now, after multiple, multiple efforts and years of letters from, you know, myself and the minister and the premier, mm -hmm. uh, basically falling on deaf ears, uh, the reality is that when people get uh, their car gassed up this coming weekend, they're going to feel it. Uh, so a couple messages to that. First one being that <laughs> when you do this, please, if you have an issue, please contact your MP. Please contact your MP and let them know. This is not a provincial government message. This is not a provincial government program. This is not a provincial government decision that we're making. This is a decision of the federal government. So please contact your MP. Don't message me on Facebook on this. Please go ahead and let your MP know about this decision because this was a federal government decision. The second part, and one that I'm concerned about, and I've spoken about it a ton of times, is the impact that it's going to have on Marine Atlantic in this province. Uh, the fact is they are going to be hit by this decision, and this is going to be millions of dollars of an impact. Where do you think this is going to get passed on? It's going to get passed on to us throughout this province when it comes to our goods and services, when it comes to travel in and out, when it comes to industry. We are going to feel the impact of this. Marine Atlantic doesn't know right now what the full impact is going to be, but when you add up 30 million liters of fuel burned over the course of a year, and this impact on each one of those leaders, it's going to be significant. And here they are already. They are already strapped as it is. They wanted to raise the fuel surcharge to meet up with their needs. Thank God, because of our advocacy, that that was stopped. But the reality is they're going to be hit by this. They do not have enough to go on. This is going to, so again, this goes back to the message we have. We right now are still in the process of looking at constitutional options as it relates to that ferry. But that's going to take time. And in the interim, these, these increases are going to be passed on again to Newfoundlanders and Labradorans and beyond. Because all these people that we're encouraging to come here, they are going to feel this. So I'll stop right there. But it also, so, so think of it this way. Come July 1st, you're going to feel it at the pumps when you drive your car. There's a carbon tax coming in. Uh, you're going to find, if you heat your home with oil, you're going to have upwards to tw almost 20 cents per liter because of the c uh, carbon tax. And we don't know, we don't know at this point what the the impact of these clean fuel regulations will be come July 1st. That's why we've been dogged, if I can use that term, at saying to the federal government, pause what you're doing. Think about the impact. We have a, a large, we were exempt under the previous renewable fuels. Newfoundland and Labrador was exempt. And the reason was geography, sparse population, the impact of our climate, the fact that we don't have supply options, all those reasons why we, had a, we were exempt from the, the renewable fuels. Now they're coming in with the clean fuels regulation to, uh, to impact that, and we're not exempt. 
the impact is going to be uh, burdensome to the people of the province. And when you think about it, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador, we've actually lowered our gas tax. We've tried to help the people of the province, and yet the federal government is coming in and uh, making these changes. That is the uh, Deputy Premier and Finance Minister, Treasury Board, Chavon uh, Cody there. And before her, of course, uh, with her, uh, Energy Minister Andrew Parsons. Uh, ministers held a uh, news briefing this afternoon at 3.30 at the Federation Building, which uh, thank you again to Richard Duggan, who was just with me and has gone back to put uh, his uh, nose to the grindstone, put and bang out the stories for tomorrow and this evening. But, you know, they're making it clear this is the feds. Not, uh, But, you know, the opposition would be the first to say that it happened on the provincial government's watch and their relationship that they, the, the opposition would often say that they tout, you know, being liberals here and liberals up along, um, you know, uh, assists our government and helps them with these decisions and uh, gives them sort of an inside track to be able to, you know, massage it or at least in this case, they want to delay or a pause on this clean fuel regulations on the new tax that takes effect on, uh, on Saturday. And they're warning, you know, if you're taking Marine Atlantic, or if you're gassing up, you're going to notice it right away. Now, again, the federal government talks about the quarterly payments that will be issued that are supposed to in some way offset um, this new tax. I mean, it's it's an ambiguous thing at best. I mean, there's no real way of knowing. The parliamentary budget officer is taxed with, um, excuse the pun, but is taxed with uh, with figuring out these numbers and what it all adds up to, whether it is a net gain or a net loss. Um, but it's also cherry-picked. Uh, the Tories and the Liberals can cherry-pick from that par- parliamentary budget officer and use numbers that favor their side. The question is, what will happen? I know one thing. It will hit us all immediately. Um, and uh, I-, I can't see, I mean, bearing some kind of last-minute um, pause that the provincial government is asking for. It's only a few days to go. You have to believe that everything is in place to go ahead with this and that, uh, for the most part, the provincial government really has nothing to lose here by... Um, by taking the feds to task on this because it's not a popular tax and it's not a popular um, increase, you know, in our oil and our uh, home heating and at the pump and everywhere else. So anyway, it remains to be seen. Uh, it'll only be only over time will tell whether or not uh, we're paying more or not. And then even then it's impossible to figure it out. It's all politics at this point. Um, I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain here on News Talk all week. Um, let's see. We have uh, just reviewing, of course, this is news talk, so just looking back at the top stories of the day. Of course, the debris from the Titan submersible returned to St. John's Harbor this morning. Um, we have Doug Snellgrove, the um, technically still an RNC officer, who has now formally filed his appeal with the Supreme Court of Canada, if you're just uh, tuning in. So uh, that's, uh, he's done that within the 60 days that were required after uh, the Supreme the uh, Court of Appeal here in the province dismissed his appeal and upheld his conviction and four-year sentence for sexual assault. So it remains to be seen. The Crown now has time to file their uh, documents with the Supreme Court of Canada, and then the Supreme Court itself will decide whether or not they'll hear the appeal. So that's another story. And, of course, uh, also seeing um, a body uh, has washed up on the West Coast, uh, near Cowhead, actually, uh, that we're hearing today from the RCMP. Um, not a lot of details there, except for they believe there's no foul play. Um, the Shallow Bay Beach area yesterday, actually, is when the body was washed up and found. Um, they believe the deceased is from out of the province and may have been diving in the area. I believe uh, he was, uh, the individual was wearing a wetsuit. So 
sad. Uh, again, you know, loss of life in any situation. Um, but again, the RCMP do not believe there's any foul play involved there. So that's it for News Talk today, uh, Wednesday edition. I'll be back in tomorrow afternoon for Linda Swain, again, who's uh, taking some well-deserved time off. Drive safely, arrive alive. VOCM Cares, we'll see you tomorrow.